I'm curious what the energy is going to be like for like a daytime John first thing in the morning at 1 10 p.m. I literally woke up like <laughs> 10 minutes ago. I know. He's going to be kind of subdued. Why is John on horse tranquilizers this episode? <laughs> <laughs> is John in a cold? Is he okay? And welcome to the League, exploring the League of Legends lore from A to Z. My name is Rebecca. And I'm John. My name is Mark. And today we're doing a doing a revisit. Some people got some new stories and whatnot. Uh, mostly, I think we're talking about Kaisa today. Kaisa just got an ass ton of stories that she's <clears throat> featured in within weeks, I want to mm-hmm. say, of us doing the Kaisa episode. Classic Riot. <laughs> they know. They know. They, 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 they hold it back. <laughs> <laughs> and then um obviously graves and twisted fate their story their their kin and love which we talked about extensively in the graves episode and annie they heard us talking about how we need to know more about annie's mom so mm-hmm. and uh in addition to annie's mom since annie was one of our older episodes we figured we'd jump into her AUs too because we weren't doing that back then. So in case you're interested in that stuff, uh, <laughs> here we go. I'm, I'm excited, frankly. I want to know all about the goth Annie AU. I want to hear oh. all about it. You will. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I didn't know. Does that actually have an AU? And there is a goth AU, yes. Oh, Beautiful. that's great. I love it. Well, I wonder... Remember e It's part yeah. of it. <laughs> Since we did Annie before, we also did impressions. Should we do Annie impressions? I'm mostly just because I want to hear Mark do oh, an no. Annie impression. I love it, but I also got a really, a very sharp like sting of fear just hit me right in the throat. <laughs> I did technically write some Annie quotes oh, down because I, I was looking through. I didn't have that thought oh. at all. I was, uh, I was looking through one of the other things that she got a big update on was um, Legend of Runeterra lore, which kind of fleshed out. A bunch of stuff. So uh, mm. I wrote down some quotes there that give her more character. So I guess I'll use one of them. Sure. All right. Sure. Do one of those in your best Annie impressions. And I'll go with, yay, Tibbers! Oh, wow. What a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the only things I could think of her saying. <laughs> All right. Who's, John, are you going to do it or am I going to go? Um, okay. Uh... <laughs> All right. I'll go. I'll go. So this one opens with Jin. Um, Should you be in school, little girl? Mm-hmm. I burned school down. Now I want to burn you. <laughs> we got a twofer on that one. <laughs> yeah, we got a bonus Jin. The Jin cameo. <laughs> okay, okay, I gotta like center myself. You got Annie. this. I'm playing Annie. <laughs> you smell like burning. Beautiful. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what we gonna do? What do we want to do first? Do we want to do Annie? I think, like you said, Kaisa's got the most the meat of the episode. 
Yeah. yeah, we can start with Annie since we already gave her impression. Sure. <laughs> Alphabetically. She is less than, I, than I thought she would, to be honest with you. I thought there was going to be more from the Runeterra stuff, but... Oh, okay. I did not look into the Runeterra stuff. I just did the short story. So which one would we like to do first? I'm going to do uh, a short story. short story yeah. since, you know, timeline-wise, it's first. <laughs> well, mm. yes. <laughs> this is pre-birth of Annie. I guess that's true. Uh, this story is called The Eyes and the Embers. It's by Connor Sheeney. Um, I, my first time I said I wrote, I was a little confused about this one and I might need some backup. But I think going through it a second time to take notes, I feel like I got it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but I was a little confused the first time I read it. Uh, so we're following a woman who's running through the woods and a voice keeps pushing her to run. It's clear she's running from someone. But eventually she collapses and tells the voice to fuck off because she can't run anymore. <laughs> when she wakes up, she's freezing. So the voice tells her to make a fire and she sees a way tree. There's these like, they're, they're like these hollowed out stumps with supplies for, they call them Empire Scouts. I don't know. But what empire is this? Noxus. Noxus. This is Noxus. That's right. Okay. I remember we talked about her being like just outside of Noxus. But anyway. Oh, God. I ran. I figured I messed up my... Okay, so once she settled with food and a fire, we get a little bit about her background. She's someone with gifts, although it's vague what her gifts are. Uh, she was discovered by a first scout named Finn who looked for gifted people. She was called a witch in Fensworth. I think that's where she was from. Yeah, Fensworth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes with him hoping for a better life. Uh, although it sounds like the school and uh, the headmistress, Telsey, were very unkind and did some fucked up shit. But again, it's vague. We don't really know exactly what. So while she's gazing into the fire, she sees a pair of eyes and it calls her by the name Amoline and shows her visions. She sees Mordekaiser in his armor with two beasts made of shadow and the other one is made of fire. And in another vision, she sees a pale woman. LeBlanc. Could be anyone. <laughs> <laughs> After Mordekaiser's been beaten, his, like, two beasts are surrounded by these robed figures chanting until they're, like, turned into little two droplets. That's, like, what all their magic is reduced to. And she sees the fire droplet laying in a vial for years and years and feels pity for it. And then in another vision, I wrote exactly what it says. <laughs> she saw the Arbiter of Thorns riding silently in a carriage. Ahead stood the great Raven Bloom Conservatory. The droplet of fire fell from its cage onto a bare forehead. And then lots of fire and pain. So did that fall on her forehead? <laughs> yeah, okay. that's, that's, I think what it's... <laughs> I figured that's what they were saying, but I was like, you know, they weren't explicit. But anyway, Emmeline wakes up because someone's screaming at her because she had just wandered into her fire and was standing in it. And we come to see that this man is Gregory the Grey, and we all know that he marries Emmeline. And I'm very curious about what this first impression of seeing this um, ragged lady standing in her own campfire in the woods, that he so was like, the one solid. That's, <laughs> that's it. I can that's fix why her. I, I was just <laughs> thinking that. <laughs> Wifey material right there. Uh, Gregory is a traveler. He's been all over, wants to head north where there's seemingly nothing and make a home there. And Emmeline agrees to go with him or asks to go with him so she can remain undiscovered. And he agrees. Biggest mistake of his life. (laughs) (laughs) Huge. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of how Annie's mom came to be, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And I think mm-hmm. I think in there there's a little scene lit too of her perspective of when they they dropped that little fire droplet on her. Mm. Um, and it seems like the headmistress and whoever this arbiter of thorns is, I don't know what that's in yeah. reference to. Um, but it seems like it was during the war with Ionia, and they kind of came saying, "Hey, we need new weapons, old weapons." And then they did some shit to her, and probably put this. Uh, and we'll pick this. We'll see this from Runeterra, but that's probably referencing uh, a demon, right? This kind of fire mm-hmm. demon that is Tybolk. Yeah, or Tib. Oh, I, I kind of read it as Tybolk. Tib- Tybolk. Tib- so it that makes sense because yeah. it would be like Tibbers. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but even even without that, yeah, even without that context, I actually kind of like I like this story. Um, I think it was it was a neat little depiction of of this little background, right? Kind of tells a yeah. lot. Yeah, it's not very long, but my notes for it were, seemed like almost as long as the story <laughs> because it, there's just a lot of info there. Yeah, a few uh, a few things to note, and and this kind of combines, I guess, this story with some of the stuff from Runeterra. But um, uh, Annie was also recruited back into the raven bloom again when finn reddick found her and mm. saw that she had her mother's powers okay mm-hmm. yeah he like wrote back to the conservatory and was like it's definitely her daughter got the same eyes and uh same giggle and cray <laughs> same creepy <laughs> giggle crazy. she stands in campfires all the time <laughs> uh. <laughs> well. Uh, also, there's a quote here that said she stole half a block of cheese from the Raven Bloom Academy that smelled like it um, had come all the way from Knockmerch, which is the area where Garen First Shield is set. Oh, <laughs> yeah, damn, stinky Connecting cheese. All the dots. Stinky <laughs> cheese. Mm, love that Knockmerch cheese. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 pretty neat. I think one thing I like too is you're talking about how. We're seeing kind of the bit of a like Noxian past. So they've got, like you said, those sort of hidey holes of supplies for people who are still on the outskirts of like what today is probably more settled. But right now it's all frontier. It's just like, oh, it's mm-hmm. neat to see how things were and, and they're different than they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I like that they're explaining why Annie's a demon. Um, I do hope that we talked about this in Annie's episode a lot that uh how old she acts varies so much depending on the story. So I do hope we get a little bit more solidification there. <laughs> I'm curious what the Runeterra stuff is like. Because she sounded very, very childish in the quote that you said. She's very childish in the Runeterra stuff. I think they've... they've okay. Riot has definitely decided that that's how she's going to be going okay. forward. Which I, I don't... Mm. I kind of get because like that's kind of a part of her appeal as like an in-game champion right is it oh it's this little girl who's also got this really dark streak right and when you start Mm -hmm. aging her up and maturing her as much as that could be a really compelling story it's also like getting further and further away from that unique like fan you know fantasy that they kind of like to do with champions you know yeah i was thinking more in terms of the cinematic i didn't think she was that much older it was just like more devastating and i find (laughs) that (laughs) especially pairing it with this like you're seeing this meeting take place and we know what comes of it. So many deaths are about to come out of these two people meeting. And that's very sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's has an incredibly tragic story. But when you just see and hear her, it's this, uh, oh, I like to burn things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, I, 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 I kind know. of sit with you that like, I would prefer if, like she had that innocence, but there was more of like, uh, 
some more mature stuff going on with it, you know, in terms of like just the way they handle it. But it's it seems to be pretty pretty light, and I can understand maybe the reasons why, even if I don't necessarily yeah. prefer it. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I I'll... kind of imagine just this wall got put up, and now all the bad things happen. But she, you remember the old trailers for Team Fortress Two for the pyro? Oh, sure. That's yeah. kind of how I imagine. Just terrible things happening all around. and <laughs> I would be open to that for <laughs> sure. He just sees everything like rainbow. <laughs> yeah. I'd be open to that. But So Emmeline has this demon now, but she doesn't act demonic. So the voice that keeps yeah. yelling at her is That's, Tybalt. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, again, that this is like a Runeterra thing, Um they say that uh, the demon Tybalt has infested the minds of countless victims over the centuries, and slowly, inexorably, he would lead them into the fire and watch his flames feast on scorched flesh, which is probably what was happening right in that moment that mm-hmm. Grigori interrupted. Like, it wasn't like, uh, I have this flame demon inside me, therefore I'm immune to the flame. Like, it was just him like, all right, I'm going to burn this person to death now and then jump into <laughs> Find someone, someone else. <laughs> Um, but in young Annie, Tybalt has found a will completely indomitable and a talent for magic that rivals his own. Mm. Yeah, I found that kind of interesting. I'm curious what it is about Annie's will that's so, so, so strong. Because she seems like you, you know, like you said, she just seems so, you know, airy and whatever. Like, like she just doesn't get it at all. Um, I feel like in the story they were talking, they described it as though she had stepped into the fire, but she wasn't. She didn't seem to have been harmed by it even though her clothing was starting to singe is that is that right or was that was i misreading it i kind of got the i think she said the pain had just started to settle in when Mm. she noticed so i think her her clothes burned and she was just and then she got off before yeah she gotcha she got off the fire don't look at me like that john she got (laughs) off the fire (laughs) gregory showed up and she got off you know (laughs) immediately she's like this is the man i'm gonna marry (laughs) um Little world building thing I thought was kind of interesting, and this this will probably good be a good segue into like the Rune Terra story, I guess, quote unquote. Um, is that her gifts? We can I think are pretty clearly t- shown in here or established as magical because it kind of talks about how even though the Empire ostensibly likes mages, um, especially in these kind of more remote places, like older superstitions kind of take hold, right? And that's why they saw her as a they called her witch and like where she came from, yeah. right? Even though it's Noxus still. Um, <laughs> Which is is neat. I guess I, I like to see, you know, it's better than having Noxus be just completely, like, unified in in that perspective. It makes more sense that things like, as like Damasia, the further you get away from the capital, the more things kind of revert back to a, uh, I don't know, they, they're probably more similar, right? Those far reaches yeah, right. of Damasia and yeah. Noxus. But, um, it makes sense. Yeah. That they sure. would keep their, yeah, their beliefs. So, um... I guess we do, do we, like. Do we want to go through like what the quick story of like the the Rune Tarot cards tell us about what's going on with Annie? Because I think it's a really big development for her. Yeah, right? sure. Did they change her bio as well? By the way, Annie. Oh, I didn't check. I assumed no. I read the very beginning, and it said that her mother was a, ri- a witch named Ameline. And I don't know if they. I don't remember if that was like in. You if they what? specifically. It's hard because it's it's been a while, and also because, like, I remember a lot of the old Annie lore where her parents were more like clearly called you know which like witches or mages and stuff and her dad at one point used to be magic so i don't remember john's going back to his old annie notes because he keeps them oh god john had nothing (laughs) i they did say they did say it was one of the four notes i have i wrote names down 
John literally it. has like it's like fifteen words on this page. Those were his notes back in, back in Annie. <laughs> uh, now he's got fifteen pages of notes every time. Well, it was a different time back then. Wild West of the Loreheads. You know what's funny is I feel like my notes have gotten a lot shorter than they used to be. <laughs> but, you know. We've gotten lazier. Yeah, maybe honestly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like you, it's like like you said, John. The big thing is that she's not tooling around in the wilds of, of Noxus anymore. She's got found, and they took her to this Raven Bloom Academy, which is kind of like it's a it's another one of those Black Rose Academies where they kind of find people with magical like magical youths. And start to try and train them and, and use them for their own malicious purposes, right? And, and <laughs> I think what the card's going to show us is that Annie got there, met some other kids, um, and then burned the place down, essentially. Like, Tybalt got out or got free, or like maybe the training kind of helped him gain more power. And she might not be there anymore. She might have burned it down within a week and then left. Like... <laughs> It's a big thing huh. that happened to it for, to her as a character, I guess. Is what yeah, it is, and I imagine that would draw LeBlanc's attention. Yeah, she's the one yeah. in charge of all of these, especially because this is now two of these academies that have just been destroyed by students, at least that we know of. <laughs> yeah. I assume that means she's going to take interest in those students who have destroyed <laughs> the academies. So it would seem. It is funny because I, mean, uh, well, I was just going to say, like, what your reference, like. I know that's a rel thing, and then in the the flavor text for the the Raven Bloom Academy card, it's like, you know, remember this shit just happened to the other place, so keep your place in order. And then it ends with Annie blowing the place up as well, right? <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, uh, in terms of LeBlanc having an interest, LeBlanc definitely already had an interest because a lot of the time when they speak about the gifts Annie has, sometimes they're talking about just her innate magic, but whenever um leblanc is talking about it she specifically means the gift that she gave to annie which mm. is this demon that is super powerful and she wants <laughs> so she uh she is tracking her <laughs> for sure so what does yeah. she want to do does she want to get the demon out i i don't understand the motive here my guess is she wants to use annie if she can okay and if she can't she probably wants the demon to give to someone else but mm. first first thing would be getting annie to work because probably much easier <laughs> yeah some control it's um you know i think so some of the cards are like the 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 other students it's a it's a it's a little like ya oh we're all at magic school and here's all the yeah. fun different things <laughs> it's annie though she's she is very you know ya kind of i know she's young herself i'll give it to her um but one of them is like this prefect uh character who seems to be kind of uh a aware of annie's like as being an important thing and be sort of directly under the con- not control but like very obedient to the people who run the place and it's kind of like their their person on the inside of what the kids are actually trying to do um because she's got like interactions with annie where she seems to be very in the know like oh you're something special aren't you annie like i know there's something about you whether she's been told directly or just been told to you know annie is something we need to take control of who knows but but yeah definitely high on their radar it would seem I like her interaction. She has a surprising amount of interactions with like Jin. I feel like over that's over other weird. I mean, some of maybe that's, he would find her interesting. It's true. Some of that's definitely from gameplay because they have very similar. Like they work with parts of the way cards work in some ways that make sense. Like I could imagine you would run them both in a deck. If I'm, I'm not like I'm not good at Runeterra. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it seems to make sense to me looking at them. Yeah. 
They've got one where Annie's like, <laughs> and then I went whoosh, whoosh, and they dieted. And Chin is like, both your parents? With the toy they made you? Huh. Huh. Yeah, see, it's, it's a little dark. <clears throat> yeah. And then got an interaction with the spell singer. She's like, hey, Annie, want to skip class? And he's like, we could skip class, or we could burn the school down. <laughs> When you when you do the Path of Champions, which is single player Runeterra thing, it kind of gives little stories for some of the champions. It seems like, like I said, she got there and then with, within like a number of days was bored and burned the place down because that was more fun. I don't know, but mm-hmm. she didn't last long there. It seems. I would like to get a story <laughs> about this place because um, I think some of the yeah. characters, some of the characters like her student friends are interesting. Like one of them, one of them I think is the same is like a a Nico type. The whatever they're called, the Uvi, Uvi, Poovy, Uvi Cat. Oh. He looks Uvi exactly Boobie. like that. <laughs> the Oogie Boogies. <laughs> the Oogie Boogies. I couldn't remember their names for a bit, but he looks like her. He he sees auras and stuff, or and like magic and magic users, which to me seemed a lot mm. like that Shoma thing. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is part of the Kythera Noxian Noble House, which is I think Elise's, and he his whole thing is he's got a pet spider. Um, and then even that prefect one I was talking about was interesting because a lot of her lines are about making people afraid of her and her not being afraid anymore. And I was like, I wonder if like maybe she was a like a Damasian mage and they pulled. And I was like, oh, that's mm. really interesting. Taking people who are like you know like mages who have been kind of flushed out of Damasia and then how they could then become um, you know kind of indoctrinated right in a, a seemingly accepting Noxus right. Yeah. yeah, and she even has a, a quote with Annie, too, where she's like, what good is power if you're not even going to use it? And then Annie's like, you sound just like Tibbers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a big thing for Annie, and I'd like to see a story kind of going over that time there, because, like I said, she's not in the woods anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I think that's most of most of the Legends of Runeterra editions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. We'll hop into some Annie AUs. All right. First up, we got Snowdown Showdown. It's the uh, mixed series of alternate future universe skins um, set around the mythos and festivals of Runeterra's time of Snowdown and real-world winter holidays, most notable one being Christmas. Um, and the champion skins were inspired by these regional festivals. Uh, this one is Frostfire Annie. Annie is a Winterlands prodigy, a child born with both innate magic... With both innate magic and a spirit guardian, the first of her kind in many generations. Though still young, she has already become a joyous fixture in the halls of the Poro King. And then we have one of two AUs that Annie has two skins for. What? Okay. Um, completely separately themed. We've got Lunar Revel, which is a uh, panda Annie. Where Andy's a uh, Annie is a big part of the Lunar Revel festivals, using her pyromancy to set off scores of high-powered fireworks. Her panda bear Tibbers hauls the rockets for her, mauling anyone who tries to make off with even the smallest sparkler. <laughs> and then we've got Lunar Beast. Each year, a mischievous lunar beast arrives in the mortal realm, drawn to the New Year's celebrations. And each year, the corresponding lunar god selects a squad of chosen champions to lead the beast on a merry chase and protect the city from the creature's playful rampage. The lunar parade is a beloved part of the New Year's festivities, and the beast itself brings good luck once it has been lulled to rest by the squad's efforts. When a lunar beast is well-entertained and well-rested, it always signals a prosperous New Year. 
This one is Lunar Beast Annie. Everyone was shocked when Annie was chosen as Ox Clan's tech operative. A precocious prodigy, Annie serves as the team's recon strategist, making sure the parade route is clear of civilians. And this what? has an associated cinematic where we find that's not at all what she did. <laughs> like, Matt, why would you put like a six-year-old right. in <laughs> anything? If nothing else, like she can't see above people. She's very, very, very <laughs> small. <laughs> right? Imagine too, this little girl is like, you need to clear the way of the road, <laughs> mister. You wouldn't sir. listen. You'd be like, whose fucking kid is this? Where's your mom? <laughs> you know, it would almost work if like she was doing that and then Tibbers was like stuck behind her, like arms mm. all crossed. <laughs> That I could see working. Oh, like a bouncer. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So in the Save the Celebration cinematic, Annie is putting the gem into the machine, which is supposed to kind of bring power to the town. Uh, but she gets candy juice on the magical gem. Um, <laughs> candy, and, <juice>. <laughs> candy juice? And a, a beast pops out of nowhere and eats the gem. Uh, so... It gets big and powerful, and the heroes all fight it, but they manage to defeat it without killing it, and they retrieve the gem. And then Annie is given another chance to put in the magical gem at the end. It was a cute little cinematic. Yeah, it is cute. Sure. Although it does more evidence why you shouldn't have, like, six-year-olds on this very important... (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, so many adults around who are doing jack shit, right? (laughs) (sighs) Now we have the second of the two AUs that she's double featured in, Storybook. Set in a storybook world where each champion is a character from a fairy tale world. First up, we have Annie in Wonderland. Down the rabbit hole Annie went, following the white tibbers she had spied at the riverbank, until she emerged in a world much more curious than the one she had left. Perhaps I shall stay, she said to herself, and so she did. (laughs) And then we've got Red Riding Annie. Over the river and through the woods to Grandmother's house Annie went, not once suspecting that Warwick the wolf was waiting for her. Of course, Warwick didn't know Annie could shoot balls of magic flame or summon a fiery bear, so really this was a larger issue with communication. (laughs) Next up we got Super Galaxy, a series of parallel universe skins in League featuring champions as galactic superheroes. This one's Super Galaxy Annie. The youngest human ever to be named a Super Galaxy cadet, Annie proved the medal. Annie proved her medal the day (laughs) she turned her teddy bear into a self-piloting mech. Despite serious concerns over her highly combustible designs and volatile programming, Annie's mecha tibbers went into full production. Desperate times call for destructive measures. And since she's the youngest human ever to be in Super Galaxy, they clearly put her in charge of all the most important things. Yes, yeah. as our tech strategist, <laughs> <laughs> main mechanic engineer. <laughs> God, Annie has so many skins. They're always so good. I don't play Annie much, but whenever I do, I'm like, I, I legit don't know what skin to pick. I want to yeah. play like eight of them. She's great. God, I know, it's yeah. hard, especially with things like Reverse Annie, too. Like, Oh, um, Reverse Annie's so good. Yeah. Goth, Frank and Annie. Franken Tibbers, what is it? Uh, Franken Tibbers. Franken Tibbers. That just sounds like Frank and Annie. Frank. <laughs> it's like a little sitcom. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, next up we got Cafe Cuties, fairly new one. Mm-hmm. Good food is magic, literally. In a world of elegant tea times and enchanted pastries, mages make magical macarons, craft charmed croissants and serve up sorcerous scones to scores of customers eager to get a taste did you write this (laughs) (laughs) oh might as well have 
Constance, uh, <laughs> he says. In this AU, each champion has their own butler, and obviously Annie's is Tibbers. Um, and this one is Cafe Cuties Annie, daughter of the cafe's owner and an accomplished pastry mage Wunderkind. <laughs> Annie has a sweet tooth to be reckoned with, though her occasional hangry tantrums send her enchanted gummy bear scouring the cafe for any morsel of food fit for his master with a full belly annie is as sweet as sugar oh yo i love these skins i don't have any of them but they're also good mm. these are yeah this is very new i i haven't been playing enough i don't think i've seen any of these in game <laughs> right i have seen the bard one i can't remember what mm. others yeah. they uh they also reference cafe cuties in the Star Guardian um, visual novel. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. They visit it. Uh, now we've got Harrowing, set around the haunted festivities of Runeterra's Harrowing and Real World Halloween, where all the champion skins were inspired by these regional or festive cultures. And this one's Frank and Dibber's Annie. He's a towering abomination of science and magic. She's an eight-year-old with a beehive hairdo <laughs> and an undiagnosed pyromania. Name a more iconic duo. Oh I'll God. wait. It does sound like the sick, like the sick Frank. <laughs> Frank and Annie at it again. I love oh, it. I love, I love it. it. Next up, we got Heartbreaker, set in a world where rom- where romance dominates. Each of the champions wear romantically themed attire, and Heartbreakers encompasses two sub themes: Heart Seeker and Sweetheart. And this one's Sweetheart Annie. Sugar, spice, and everything nice. That's what Sweetheart Annie is made of. Tibbers is made of fire-resistant cotton blend and the insatiable <laughs> hunger of a shadow bear. But he's still good for a hug or two. Probably just one, actually. Are there any skin lines you just really, really hate and you don't know why? I feel like the Sweetheart ones are mine. I never like them. Mm. I feel bad. They're not bad skins. They're just like so I like the Varus skin for it. Olivera's I think the Cupid's like an easy swish. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I like I like some of them. I I can't think of any that I dislike, like visually or just like mm. their existence. I think having read through the lore of them now, I think the um, Crime City Nightmare mm. infuriates me more than anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that one is infuriating because it's not at all it's description is so fucking cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. and no one has any any good skin blurbs that fit the description i want a short story (laughs) yeah that's a good pick anyway uh next up we got goth it's set in a world where each champion is part of the goth gothic cultural movement we've got goth annie her mother is dead her father is dead (laughs) But Annie remains, seeing beauty in the dark. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it should say, like, her rental figure units are right. dead. Because that's what I feel like we said as goth kids back in the day. Uh, the authorities actually, are dead. Yeah, the authorities. John and I were just talking about this, actually. Like, what you called your parents in high school. Like, did you have, like, a like what you thought was a really cool name? Like, the rentals or the rental units? Um, we called them the rents. The rent, the no, no. The rents are gone. Them, I was just a good, a good kid. I called them my, my, my parents. Oh. My mama, loving, papa, <laughs> mother, yeah. father. Like they do in Texas, they say mama and papa. No, very eloquent, right? <laughs> Pinkies out. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, let's see, we got two more. Next up, we got Hextech. Now at the forefront of science and art, Hextech has evolved from its rudimentary beginnings into a modern renaissance of intricate artificial life forms capable of free will. Skilled artificers lead the medium into a bold new future, but what it will bring, none can say. And this is Hextech Annie. You're not going to believe the first line. <laughs> a scientific prodigy, <laughs> even among the intellectuals of the Hextech Renaissance, Annie's beautiful living war bears are among the most prized innovations of the era. Her most mysterious creation, Tibbers, is always close at hand. Her confidant, friend, and monstrous bodyguard. They really like making her a little child savant, huh? Right? Yeah. <clears throat> I guess that is different from the world that she's in. She's a magic savant. In canon, she's just a little demon child. <laughs> just a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> Killing her rental She's units. And finally, we have Anniversary. Set in an alternate earth, each champion skin is made to celebrate the birthday of League of Legends. And this one is Anniversary. Ten years of epic outplays, last-second turnarounds, and brutal throws, and we couldn't have done it without each and every one of you. Annie is ready to usher in festivities, and Timo has been lifting, I see. Happy 10th! <laughs> Thank and you, And this Annie. actually has... This has a short cinematic associated with it that I had never seen before. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, which isn't specifically tied to Annie, but more the anniversary event. Um, it's called... <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> it's okay. I forgive you. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> this is called uh, Rise's 10-Year Realm Warp. And it's a oh, lot I, of fun. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah. It's a cute little animation. But that's it for Annie. All right. Cool. I guess if we're going alphabetically, Graves TF is up next. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they had a short story called The Boys and the Bombolini. Hey, Bombolini. Yeah. I think that's that an what... Italian donut. Which oh my god! I, which no, I think they is do why call him a donut yeah, at one point. Oh my god! You're right. Oh my god! I didn't even like. Calls him a donut. <laughs> do I need to like? Oh my god! Do I need to revoke my Jersey card because I feel like this is something that'd be known in Jersey? That's uh, a bomboloni. Bombolone. Uh, Bombol. Oh, okay. That's bombolone. <laughs> oh, it just swaps in. It's I an see. I. It's an E instead of an mm. I. Well, there's an O instead of an I as well somewhere. We should order some. For the episode. I yeah. would love a fucking donut. <laughs> a fucking donut. <laughs> a fucking donut in my gullet right now sounds great. My ma. <laughs> we'll add it to the list of things to have after the baby. <laughs> um, I didn't take notes for this one, although I feel like we could always piece it together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Are we I, I... updating the bingo board? Because I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> That's... To what? I, I assume is it not having notes for the story that, that we're about to do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a free space. I have notes for some of them. Yeah, I sometimes have notes for some of them. I I don't have notes for this one either, but I remember it ah, very so well. So fuck I love you. The story. <laughs> sure. Yes. I have. I just have a bunch of quotes. You have so yeah. many thoughts and quotes. Yeah. yeah There's a lot of really that. good quotes here. I wrote down one quote because it made me laugh out loud. This whole story is written very much. Um, this is very much like a Douglas Adams piece, who's mm -hmm. like one John's of my favorite fan. writing yeah. styles. <laughs> so I fucking loved it. Oh sure, I loved yeah. it too. I mean, it's it's 
absolutely my favorite of anything that we we did here today. It's probably one of my favorite lore pieces that we've read, frankly. You know, at least from the for <laughs> yeah. a comedic one, especially. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's and it, I mean, like this. I don't want to be condescending here towards Jared Rosen, um, but I'm gonna be uh, <laughs> watching Jesus. him go from like skin blurbs to this gives me like that proud feeling like i feel like watching your kid grow up (laughs) (laughs) now i know jared was a very good writer before he did this and you know probably you know you put them on skin blurbs to cut their teeth or he was doing it just for fun i don't fucking Mm. know what the situation was but still like oh it was so good i'm so proud of you jared I'm so proud. <laughs> He's the proud papa. I know what you mean, though, right? Because I do. It is like I think I remember like one of the first times we saw him, his name pop up in like a mainline universe story. Because before we had only seen it in, in blurbs. It's like, oh, that's cool. And then to get to this, it's like, man, he fucking knocked it out the park. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> well done. Uh, but yeah, the summary is very short, and I would say it doesn't at all do it justice, right? Because it's the fun is in the no, reading. No, no. Um, but it sets up that. There is a Piltoven uh, sort of arms dealer who who essentially has got a warehouse full of stuff and they have set up, they've hired on mercenaries to guard it and then they've hired on this other set of mercenaries to steal from it and they've insured the whole thing <laughs> so that once it all goes up in smoke, uh, they'll come out a little bit ahead. And they definitely know that will happen because they've hired Graves and Twisted Fate as the mercenaries <laughs> to come steal it. And so it kind of jumps into the middle of their their heist where shit has obviously gone sideways they're pinned down by a bunch of uh they're what are they called the azure something is what this the mercenaries who they're fighting the ones who are defending it. it's a bunch oh, of like yeah. fish and shrimp type looking mm. people <laughs> fish people <laughs> yeah it's the fish people right um so they're they're pinned down they're surrounded by explosive crates and they're kind of arguing back and forth when there's kind of a break and in walks a hammerhead shark guy it's i almost feel like this is poking fun at like uh, hammerhead shark Aatrox a little bit because it like just like yeah. oh, he comes in he's shirtless and stuff um, yeah that's exactly the vibe I got <laughs> yeah. um, and he starts talking and he's like wait a minute Graves Twisted Fate and they're like wait a minute Bambolini um, and we find out that Bambolini this hammerhead shark feller uh, was originally their third partner he was like a, the, a, the, they were a trio but he was constantly kind of like left out and they eventually uh, you know, they eventually split up and then they eventually tried to rob him and thought that they had, you know, kind of accidentally killed him when that job blew up. But he's not. He's very much alive. Um, and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? And so Twist of Fate starts kind of doing kind of like a big fake, kind of fake argument with the Graves that sort of turns into a real argument as they sort of try <laughs> and make their escape out. The place starts kind of going up in flames. And as they, do they I think they don't teleport away. They run into the bambolini again and i don't remember what exactly happens to him at the end though i think they just kind of blast him out right with like a car yeah that graves right? just like he blows up, up a box of explosives that's right next to him that's yeah. what it was yeah and then they kind of teleport out and uh you know they, they get away and they 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 have a little moment afterwards <laughs> and they just kind of like we could keep doing this together you know as partners and that's like the summary but there's like a ton of interpersonal like I guess subtext or maybe even like not even subtext between like Graves and Twisted Fate about like their relationship becoming like a, a full, like they're, like they're becoming like romantically like interested. almost like interested. Yeah. Acknowledging those feelings. Right. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, I mean, 
I, I like their rambling at the end about all of Graves' exes and how terrible they were. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were whole all dudes. section written down. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. you do. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, because I think at one point, Bambolini is like, Grace has terrible taste in men, and Twisted Fate <laughs> is like the worst man possible. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I was a little confused what uh, Bambolini's motives there were. Was he just trying to get them to argue with each other? And then Twisted Fate realized that, so he's like, well, let's start arguing, but it's a fake argument. I think so. Okay. I guess. I mean, I, I understood what Twisted Fate was going for there, that he was starting a fake argument that would... But I was I was a little confused why Bombolini was like, oh, they're a couple. I get it. Yeah. Like, did he think that that was going to make them fight, or... Yeah, that I'm not sure know. about either. I, I almost thought it was like... Because yeah. something it does mention that it, is that he's like rolling it around in his walnut-sized brain, so it might have just been oh, like true. he genuinely <laughs> just came to that realization. And he's a little bit like... Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it now. Like it's kind of not even related to fixing the the situation they're in. It's just like, oh, it duh. I like I almost feel like this is this is very this whole thing is like constantly winking at the reader, right? And I feel like yeah, that could be a little bit of like speaking to people who like for this this story is the first time they're ever gonna see this perspective <laughs> on these characters and this relationship, right? It's like, hey. Y'all are a little yeah. Bombolini right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> can we start using that? Right, you're being a little thinking... Bombolini at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Bombolini it. moment. He Bombolinied it. <laughs> I will say on Twitter, once this got announced, there was an onslaught of people like, I don't care if you make a character gay, but. <laughs> a little, little Bombolini. <laughs> they should be gay from the beginning. Why did you have to make them gay? And I'm like, dude, they were clearly so super gay. I don't know why <laughs> he didn't see it. But... Yeah, I had to. I had to post those three very obviously yes. gay graves quotes <laughs> from previous stories that they had. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, the one line I wrote down before John uh, gets goes into off. his goes endless. on a bender. Yeah, you're going to go on a bender. Clearly, I would say maybe pick some of your favorites. No, <laughs> they're all my favorites. Okay, well, I'm not editing this one, so whatever. <laughs> go nuts, go nuts, man. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, it's about Twisted Fate, and he says, He flipped a playing card over his fingers. With each turn, its hue shifted from blue to red to gold. Though when he got especially nervous, he couldn't get the order right. I know. Same was, friend. Yeah, it was the most relatable horseshit. I know. It's like, Jared, don't call me out like that. But then it immediately, too, was like, the red cards cause red explosions, yeah. the gold ones call, cause gold explosions, and the blue ones aren't very useful, right? <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. Oh, man. And then he pulls the wrong card, I think, too, at one point. Yeah, he, right? yeah, he does. He had a red card oh, in his hand at some oh, point. He's like, ah, oh, damn. so good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fucking great. I mean, if you want to just go yeah. off with the lines, because it's just filled <laughs> with sure. them, you know? So there was, a, there was a moment near the beginning. It said, Gunfire rained upward all around him, chewing away thick pieces of his cover and punching holes into nearby shipping containers, many of which displayed prominent illustrations of a frowning cartoon man being blown apart, which sounds very Vault Boy from Fallout. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even think of that. <laughs> sure. Um, I like later on, he's... I think they're trying to figure out what to do, and he's like prepping a smoke grenade, and he like turns to the, like, the little cartoon man. He's like, don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um there's a Oh you also had the, the I did, line. yeah. Oh my bad. Oh no, there was the the, the one that I the different said. colored card. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um there's one line that says the partners locked eyes for a moment, looked at their respective explosives, <laughs> then back at each other. 
John. Euphemism? John. Well, when you say it like respective explosives. All I'm saying is that Graves immediately followed up by saying mine's bigger. <laughs> All right. Well, never mind. Yeah. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I forgot about that part. Uh, uh, and there was a nice line. TF said, uh, you still got that blue card I gave you? He whispered. What? The one from the Sentinels? Yeah, I still got it. Which I like. Uh, I love. The introduction of Sentinels lore here in a way that doesn't make me hate the Sentinels event. I also, there's a little comedic bit in here is that you still got that blue card I gave you, he whispered, and then, yeah, I still got it, Graves answered in a normal volume. (laughs) 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 He's like not trying to be quiet at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have have an interaction here um, where Graves is like, I'll never die because I'm the the handsome protagonist. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows squat, one stray bullet, and we're all portraits at a funeral. Your funeral, maybe. I beat Viego. That makes me the male lead. The male lead? Ah, oh, God, I'm so tired of this story, <laughs> yelled Fate, immediately attracting the attention of everyone in the room. See? That's your fault. Real deuteragonist behavior. <laughs> Graves gloated, about 40% sure he had used the word deuteragonist right, which I like for a few reasons. One, I like... I like that I like that Graves came home and immediately started telling people about how he was like the hero of mm. the Sentinels mm. event. Um and like they have another interaction later where I think uh they go like you know, more in, in depth about that. But yeah. I, I love that idea. Also also had to I mean, contextually I could piece together what deuteragonist meant but i did have to look it up just to make sure because i was also only 40 percent sure that he had used it correctly <laughs> i didn't know that word uh, i i had seen the it, uh, yeah. second to the protagonist in a story oh my god i'm a, I'm a writer i had literally never heard that before <laughs> yeah I, I think um, the way the whole way they handle all the sentinel lore stuff it's i mean it's the best way you can get around something that was like a big yeah. stinky poo Right, it's just kind of you just kind of hang a little, you hang a little joke on it, and then just move on. Right? Yeah, they sort of dropped the idea too that like the stories we all got are all just. It's almost like those are the stories that are going around with Terra, and none of them are true. Is kind of what they mm. made it sound like, and that the only people who really know what happened are the people who were there. <laughs> and obviously, yeah. Graves isn't going to tell the true story. <laughs> sure. I also like how they. I mean, they acknowledge that TF wasn't with him which i like but uh, i mean I, they don't never talk about like why graves went to this without tf but whatever but i do like how twisted fate was just so incredibly jealous <laughs> 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 that graves had this big thing without him with these people that he bonded with without him and yeah and i like the idea too that he had before he left like tf gave him a card to teleport to back out. to him mm-hmm. if he needed it yeah <laughs> Yeah, that is cute. That's cute. Yeah, I wish. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I I really wish that a detail like that had come up in the the event because it would have made oh, like. Could you imagine if he had used it or thought about using it? Like he got scared. Yeah, it's and like he a character about going moment, back right? to Twisted Fate. Yeah, yeah. So good. It's like and then like thinking about oh, but I couldn't look him in the eye knowing that. Yeah. Going to be slow. Be oh, be sweet. You get a little. Mm, uh, but whatever. It's, it's nice here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it. Thanks, yeah. Riot. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Thank you, Jared, for saving it. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. genuinely. <laughs> uh, I feel like this this next part had an extra hitchhiker's vibe to it. 
the tall hammerhead shark man with a menacing harpoon gun and no shirt was also unable to end this standoff, but he did not know it yet. His name was Bombolini, and the two things he knew best were how to project an understated elegance for a creature of his stature and how to know exactly what to say to command a room. What are you doing, you bunch of ding-dongs? <laughs> <laughs> he shouted towards the catwalk. Um, and then right after that, there was after uh, Graves and TF noticed that it was him, they're like, a second of recognition passed. Two seconds. And then, for some reason, three. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, okay, so this next bit gave me huge Our Flag Means Death vibes. Oh. <laughs> so they talk about... When when they were a trio and Graves and TF had uh, the poster set up for themselves <laughs> to say like you know what their business was, their poster said, two men who will do anything, and we mean anything, to anybody, and we mean anybody, for the right price, any price, <laughs> <laughs> which it mentions uh, caused a lot of confusion, confusion. as to yeah. what their services were. And there was a uh, there was a scene in our our flag means death where Steed's trying to sell a hostage he has, and he just goes through this pirate town yelling, "Man for sale, <laughs> man for sale, healthy, sturdy, obedient. Check out this fabulous booty I'm hawking. <laughs> Somebody buy my booty." <laughs> it was reminding me of it's always sunny because everything does. But when they're trying to get like guy friends to come over, and they made like the bicep, but it's just a penis. <laughs> I feel like somebody please make that a meme, but with Graves and TF and the Hammerhead Shark guy. I think later on it's talking about the Hammerhead Shark, and it's like, oh, he got he went on to a much better job than something that wasn't billing itself as some sort of pirate flesh carnival in flyers. <laughs> pirate flesh carnival. Oh. They could have made good money. They should have just went through right? with it. I don't know why. <laughs> Because as we find out in a little bit, I mean, Graves pulls. He does pull. He has a lot of X's. Oh, uh, yeah. I guess that's true. TF probably pulls, too. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And the the interaction, too, where they're talking more about the uh, Sentinel stuff. Um, TF is like, I'm ungrateful. I'm not the one who disappeared for months to go fight some Camavore ghost prince, then rolled back into town one night like he owned the place. He was a ghost king. <laughs> and if you're lucky... And you're lucky I fought him. Oh, we'd all be ghosts. You'd be a ghost. I'd be a ghost. Everyone would be a ghost. You weren't even there. <laughs> you think I don't read Shauna's letters? Graves, I'm a con man. You can't trick me. They left you outside while Scissors Doll and the Shirtless Wonder saved the day. <laughs> Your TF impression always starts out super British. <laughs> what? That doesn't sound like my impressions. I like that we're getting a little, like, audio drama like right here you know live yeah i'm a huge them. fan yeah. i'm ungrateful i'm not the one who disappeared from my <laughs> <laughs> it takes me a little bit to lock it in you know so you, you, can't just, you can't just yeah. go to cajun mm. <laughs> i like i like too that tf does seem actually a little genuinely jealous of uh of vane and graves yeah. yeah he called her shauna um because i think that, that was something that kind of people were like hey is graves like is he like into vane because he seems kind of you know whatever but they do make it clear here. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, he's only. <laughs> I didn't do it. He hasn't liked women in f- four decades. Four I decades. Think they said. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that yeah, four decades of people. You, you could probably get a good list together. But the list, yeah. the listing is great. We're like, they're just listing them off, right? And it's like 
the sh- like I don't know the shrimp guy, the whale guy, the other whale guy, <laughs> orca, orca. Oh. Let's see. I've got the list here. Let's see. <clears throat> Your taste isn't terrible, Malcolm. It's catastrophic. Catastrophic. Crepes fired. Name one example. You can't. The North Man. Fate said almost instantly. The traitor with the cockroach tattoo. The Buru cultist. Not a cultist. <laughs> Tried to sacrifice us both, but sure, not a cultist. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. The whale guy. The octopus guy. The second whale guy. Orca. An orca is a kind of whale. The monk. The Vestaya. The Noxian. Graves winced. All right, he was bad. A Noxian, Malcolm. <laughs> from Noxus. People talked about that one. <laughs> very curious about this Noxian that he dated. <laughs> sure. Maybe it was just Draven. He was apparently, according to Graves, more racist than he likes oh, his people. Oh, true, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's see. Uh, I also like, at the very end, when they meet up against kind of, before they have this conversation, they do run up against Bambolini again, and it's said kind of throughout the story that Bambolini has been thinking about this revenge fantasy against Graves and TF for backstabbing him for, for years, and he had this perfect fantasy in his head and right at the end, when they escaped the warehouse, it's kind of implied that uh, Bombolini was hiding, basically, for, for minutes behind this crate, waiting for them to come so he could <laughs> pop out and give his big final speech. He's like, do you know what I thought when I saw you two after all these years? After all that time? All that? And then uh, Graves is just like, not interested, and then shoots the explosive right next to him and ends it immediately. I will say, I get why they didn't have Graves just shotgun him in the face, but I feel like more realistically, Graves just would have shotgunned him in like the chest. Yeah, he did a lot more of that in his younger days. You know, slung the guts mm-hmm. out of people. <laughs> yeah, he wants to give Bombolini a chance to live now again. <laughs> and then after the whole thing, um, uh, TF was like, Malcolm, do you have a concussion? It's possible, Graves sighed, but not in a sad way, or tired way, more of a concussed way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me look, said the very injured fate, brushing Graves' hair aside as they looked for signs of a bruise. We both know you're a very durable fella, but neither of us is invincible. Not like Bombolini, said Graves, confused by the welling excitement over fate playing with his hair. (laughs) Uh... Also, I love that Graves called, used the term Tommy Kench. Yeah, <laughs> Sweet Tommy, Tommy Kench. <laughs> Just gotta call him Tommy Kench from now on. Hell yeah. I also do like how after Twisted Fate checks his head, he's like, he didn't know what a concussion looked like, so he had no idea what he was <laughs> <Right>. doing. <laughs> uh, uh, last thing I had, and this was more of a question. I don't know if any of you had more context on this. They refer to... Senna as the lady with the laughing jar. I don't think this is about Senna, actually. I could be wrong. I had no idea who that was about. Yeah, I don't know what this is about, but I assumed it wasn't because it also references, like, her having an outfit that has a bunch of hands going on with it. I I assumed that was her wraith form. Oh, maybe. Oh, I could see. Like, her wraith form in game has a shit ton of hands popping. (laughs) That's true. That's true. It's, I I did a little bit of light Googling, and it seemed like people thought that was just in reference to a new champion. Um, And I think, who was it? Riot Reeve. And there was like, I was looking at like a a Reddit thread in Riot Reeve Uh to kind of, 
you know, given just like one of those little like emoticon responses to someone saying, "Oh, is this about a new champion?" Like I don't know a lot of what's going on with uh, Neela. Um, I don't know if she got a lot of hand things going on with her outfit or whatnot. <laughs> I feel like no. We played um, against her in an ARAM yesterday. I still don't know. Yeah. Right. So I don't. I don't know yeah. for sure what this. This could be something new, or it could be. I could see the Cinna thing with the hands. Now that you talk about the wraith form, I don't know about the jar. Oh. Yeah, the jar. I have no idea. None of them have anything remotely jar-like. Yeah. Thresh has a lantern, but I don't think they're talking about his laughing right. jar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you. Yeah. It's like a swear jar. Anytime you laugh. Bang right. You put a quarter in it. I swear to God, I googled laughing jar just to see if it was a term that I was unfamiliar with, and just nonstop stock photos of people laughing at jars, <laughs> 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 laughing at jars, laughing with jars. <laughs> so, in case anyone ever needs that, there's yeah. apparently a plethora. Um, something I thought was interesting there too is they mentioned like, oh, what are we going to do next? Like, oh, you, I think that's the line where they talked about that person but they also say like oh there's stuff opening up in in ishtal um so i don't know if that's like oh, actually yeah. i don't know if that's something that's actually gonna happen or if that's just like a come on folks just hang on eventually we'll get there <laughs> there's this region <laughs> that exists we promise we promise i'd love to see graves and tf get mixed up in uh all of the wild wilderness of ishtal right. i mean it's gonna be really hot and sweaty so i think some shirts gonna have to come off you know oh, shit <laughs> Your boots get stuck in the mud, you know. It's just it's funny how that works. Oh, such romance. I also think there's a reference to Ruin King, one of the Ruin King journals at the very start. It makes mention of a, a horror house, which I think is a unique thing to Runeterra that they do in Bilgewater, where if you steal from like a, a captain, they'll kill you and skin you and put your skin up in this horror house. It's like, hey, come on, folks. Oh. This is what we do to thieves. Um, and it talks about the person who set all this up, this Piltoven had a cousin or or like a nephew who was very recently killed and strung up in a horror house mm. and that that person that Piltoven was a poet referenced in Ruin King named Jared Ozen um, who was <laughs> mistaken for a thief and killed so I think he's talking about his Subtle. dead self oh <laughs> uh, that's great oh I totally missed that that's cool yeah mm. but that's all all right Kaisa Kaisa's got a lot yeah all right she has a, uh, she has basically two short stories and two cinematics that she's heavily featured in. And mm-hmm. they're connected. So, like, they're all, I know they're connected. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I put them in order. The, the order okay. that I got here, my assumption was Hollow, Spun, Call, All That Will Ever Be, followed Pinwheel. by Pinwheel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Um, um, I don't have notes for Hollow, Spun. I know Hollow, Spun um, pretty well. Um, yeah, I know. We read this one for The Call. We do have, like, a in-depth discussion on the call on our patreon <laughs> where we read all the stories featured around it mm-hmm. uh so if you want to check that out but yeah yeah this is probably just supplementary to that to a degree but um <laughs> so the summary is it's following kaisa she's tracking along a, she's down in the underground she's tracking along a void tunnel and she notices that this void tunnel goes directly north and it seems to be made with purpose whereas normally they're just kind of sprawling and whatever uh, but she gets along and she runs into these weird void creatures that she hasn't really seen before. And they're doing some weird stuff <laughs> with other void creatures that's also she hasn't really seen before. You make it sound so sexy. So, <laughs> there's tentacles and it's just... Void never creatures. seen that move. Void creatures will do anything. And they mean anything <laughs> with anyone. <laughs> So she so they 
she's kind of stuck underground. They start swarming at around her, and she can't really get away when all of a sudden the walls kind of cave down um, and smush most of them. And then some handholds start appearing in the rock, very similar to what we saw going on with that NASA story. We're like, oh, someone's doing this. It's Talia. It's Talia. Talia. It's Talia, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever her name is. Yeah. Um, she's a little bit older, I think, than she. we've seen her elsewhere. And she is moving along with kind of a caravan of people, mostly like youths and, and elderly people who are kind of hard, like not able to defend themselves. And they are traveling towards a place called Zolan, I want to say. Sholan? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Which, if, from other stories we know, has actually already been kind of overtaken by the Xersai and the Void. But they're going there to say here that it's safe. It's a safe spot. And they're going to travel across this dangerous desert to do so. And Kaisa, kind of a little unwilling, but goes along with them, at least for the night. She's injured. And she kind of tells them, like, hey, if you do this, you're all going to fucking die. There's no way you can protect these people. She's telling Talia, what you need to do is you need to leave some that you can't protect and save those that you can. And Talia is very steadfast, like, no, we're going to save them all. Um, You know, every person's important. Anyway, they separate. Kaisa goes back to investigating this tunnel. Notices, hey, this is going exactly the same space, the same direction that they are going. Follows it along. Um, does she end up above ground? I think, oh yeah, she, okay, so she's following along, right? And then uh, all of a sudden she runs into Talia's group, who is kind of currently under attack from Zersai and Void creatures. And Talia is kind of struggling to save people. And some, one of them, kid told, it's not Rami, is it? What's his name? No, I did not write that uh, Was it... Uh... Let's see. It wasn't Zypha. It was that other one. I know. I would. I, I feel like I should know him from Runeterra. Um, but a kid that she had met before kind of goes tumbling down. And Talia wants to go in after. Kaisa uh, is like, hey, you're not going to be able to save him. You're going to die down there. And they're all going to die. But again, Talia takes the hard line, goes in after. And Kaisa kind of has a moment where she's wavering. And she's like, oh, I, could, I should kill some of these these kids <laughs> to to get them to run away. I'll make the rest of them run, and they'll save themselves. Kind of like she did in the... I feel like there are other ways she could get people to run away, Kai. So. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of supposed to be like hearkening back to that monstrous story where she did kind of yeah. the same thing. Um, but she chooses to do something else this time and goes in Character after. growth. Character <laughs> growth, right? Things are changing for Kaisa. She goes in after. She finds Talia and... Um, I'm never going to remember his name. Our hapless victim uh, under assault uh, works with Talia to fight off a bunch of the creatures. And um, there's this big, big void kind of Zersai thing they call it Dune Breaker that's kind of on the way. And she manages to kind of clear enough space. They hide from the Dune Breaker. Um, It kills the rest of the whatever voidlings are left and is kind of like satisfied and moves on. And then Kaisa and Talia get back up. And... What they resolve to do is they're going to take the caravan of people. They're going to send them to kind of like a trade city where they should be able to be safe and get food. And her and uh, you know Kaisa and Talia are going to go to Zolan, Zolan <laughs> to check it out and see if it's even if it's been uh, consumed by the void. Maybe there's survivors that they can save. So that's where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was a this was a good story. I feel like we got a lot more. We got a lot more. I think of. Kaisa's inner voice that yeah. I wanted in some of her lore. We got a lot of good stuff in this one. Um, also, seeing how much she like relies on her carapace armor too to kind of restitch her bones when they break and like protect her down there, and like all her weapons come from there too. It really like hits home how much it would suck if she just couldn't use that anymore because mm-hmm. because of reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
true. Um, also, I didn't realize before how much the lamplights that she ran into um, resembled fish in the description. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of, would you say like angler fishy? Is that how you would kind of describe them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I dropped it early. Yeah. I'll, I was really curious, too. Like, oh, I'm, this must be like maybe Belveth's creatures are already out doing their shit already. Yeah. Um, but as we kind of find out from Pinwheel 2, Belveth has not technically been born yet <laughs> when this story well, started. Not not the Belveth that is known, but yeah. Yeah. That's something I, w- I, I kind of wish I'd read her bio because I didn't for this um, to get... Because a lot of the stuff with Belveth is very, like, kind of poetic in its description. It's a little yeah. hard to get, like, really clear what's actually happening. Um, so I kind of wish I had... Maybe the bio would provide some of that concreteness to her. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's something that I kind of left out, I guess, a bit, is that there's very clear... There's some sort of very clear conflict going on between these different types of void creatures. And it seems like these new ones are doing something to the the Xerxi that everyone knows and loves and kind of turning them or corrupting them or something. Like you said, kind of turning them to Belveth's will, we would assume, right? And some of the older, more powerful ones, not down with that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I'd be, I would be curious to see, like, a Rek'Sai story relating to this. I don't know what Rek'Sai is like. I don't know how you write for Rek'Sai, but, like, this is a conflict that she would probably be very directly involved in, right? So. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I like this, like you said, it, or like we kind of said, it's nice to see Kaisa grow a bit as a character. I kind of wish, I know it was long, I almost wish there was more around Kaisa going through a bit of that change, because she kind of hangs out with them for a night, and it's like, it does mention that, like, oh, it feels very strange to, like, be a person again, right? Like, for so long, it's just been me and these <laughs> monsters, and occasionally some random that maybe you'll, you'll run into and have to, like, scare off. Um, but to have people sit down and interact with her and, like, tell her stories or, like, cook food for her and things like that, it's like, that would be pretty... I could see, like, wow, that's really heavy and be, like, you'd be dealing with all these emotions that, like, you didn't know were still inside you. And I'd like this... Yeah. I'd like it to maybe, like, she spends, like, a week with them and it, like, slowly kind of breaks her down a little. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I like the kind of... The conversation that she and Talia have... Um, like that tough conversation is kind of a good example of both people arguing like opposite sides of a point and how they're both, you know, kind of right given the information that they have access to. Um, Cause you know, Kaisa knows the void really well. She's been fighting it for a while and she knows how powerful they are. What she doesn't know is how powerful Talia or the other um, rock hoppers are. She doesn't, she doesn't really have that context to determine whether they could actually make this trek across the desert um, so she has every believe, reason to believe the trip is suicide, even if she helped them. Um, and Talia has fought the Void before, but nothing to the extent that Kaisa's seen. Uh, but the impression we get is that she's beaten every Void creature she has encountered, so she also has no reason to believe she can't make this trip. Um, it's like it's like a classic idealist thinking the other person is being a pessimist, and a realist thinking the other person's being an optimist. Mm. Like. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, right? And I think, I don't know exactly for Talia, but I think that will be something that makes a lot of sense for her as a a character, because I believe she lost a lot of her, I assume she lost a lot of her, like, family, I would, I think. So it makes sense that she would kind of... (laughs) She is a champion. Right, you kind of assume, you know? Um, But it would make sense to me that she would then kind of want to more strongly cling to those those people, right? And would be very reticent to... uh, you know, abandon anyone, right? Even at the the, the expense of, of maybe their actual safety, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
there was a very YA moment here too when uh she and Talia were talking and Talia was like, I'm disappointed. You know what you're doing with these void monsters. You could help these people. And then Kaisa was like, the best way I can help is to figure out what made this void passage. It was made with a purpose in mind. And that scares me. But she doesn't say that. Instead, she says, I hope you can help them yourself. <laughs> it's a classic YA like, I'm saying the thing in my head that could diffuse this situation and prevent conflict, but what I'm saying out loud with my mouth is gonna... So I'll say that is not exclusive to YA stories. Mm. And it was also, very Katniss. I guess, I guess. Um, but yeah, you see the miscommunication is what it would be called a lot. And it is something that we do as people a lot. How often are we actually saying what we're thinking? Sure. All the time. You do. I know you do. <laughs> I'm hungry. I want pancakes. No silent thoughts here. <laughs> I want donuts. But um, yeah, I mean, Can we got to stop talking about donuts. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You know, no, it's okay, it's okay. I think that's like why I would like a little more time with them above ground, just kind of interacting and talking. Because I think Kaisa, you could really, you could get some of the stuff that I felt like we missed from some of her lore around like. What are the actual like psychological impacts of having to do this shit for nearly a decade, I assume, right? Just being so isolated and stuff and interacting, just having normal interactions with people being a challenge. So so I could see her being someone, yeah, super guarded, doesn't say what she's thinking or, or doesn't even know necessarily like how to appropriately diffuse situations, like doesn't think to do it. You know, I could see I could see that. Yeah. I like how she she isn't good at sharing the responsibility of handling the void either, which we'll see at the end of Pinwheel, like she's going to have to learn how to, you know, uh, join in with others Mm. in order to beat the void. She can't do it alone, but she's been fighting it alone for so long. It must be really isolating to like fight this massive thing that people don't know exists or even real or deny that it exists. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's a really good idea idea i'd like to see them explore that more because like you said it makes sense that you take a weird ownership like you'd almost yeah. feel like it's, it feels strange yeah. to hand off that responsibility like you said mm-hmm. also mark i wrote down the name of the other kid who was stuck in the stone and then forgot that i had written it down oh. it's samir, but it was right? samir. Yeah, I, went, I went and looked at it at one point yeah samir yeah samir yeah he's um, um so samir's brother <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I think he's a he's a he's a Legends of Runeterra card. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he the name just falls is. in holes. <laughs> he's probably prodigious rock hopper. Yeah, he's, he's, he's something rock hopper. <laughs> There's a good unraveled re- Earth reference here when they were fighting the thing, and you know, Talia put all the rocks down and was like run over them that's what makes them explode <laughs> i will say i wish they had not used the phrase rock explosions it felt a little out of <laughs> out of place for me here that works on like like something toned like the graves tf story rock explosions fits yeah. there perfectly here it's supposed to be a little more serious and, and it kinda, mm-hmm. uh, but it's okay it's like the name of like a 90s kids game show oh man <laughs> what y'all didn't watch rock explosions with the, the slime <laughs> <laughs> they exploded in slime. I would watch that as a kid. <laughs> it's a dad rock band from the early nineties. Oh yeah. Also good. All right. All right. Moving on. The Next call. up, so we know we know that uh Kaisa and Talia are heading to Zolan to either rescue the people uh who I are still think there. Zoltan, whatever you Zoltan. say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
It's a real old dude wears my car reference for everyone there. In case you... uh, so we know what they're going to find in Zoland, but they don't. <laughs> but what do they find? Nothing. Yeah. Nada. A big old uh, everything's gone except for monsters. Yeah. <laughs> big, big old hole in the ground. Yeah. And the big. Yeah. Is that big thing that they fight supposed to be Rexa? That's probably like that Dune Breaker thing that they're talking about, right? That'd be my guess. Um, it does look very Rexi. It looks very Rexi, but I mean, all the Xersi look very Rexi. Yeah. Um, so my guess is it's. Uh, I would. It guess. might be the Dune Breaker. I don't remember the horn though. Is the thing? Yeah. Did it have a dick horn? <laughs> dick spike. Thank <laughs> so you. It, <laughs> It's a bigger Xersai than the one they're fighting at the beginning, so it might be Rexai, but it. My, yeah. my guess is it's not. I would mm. assume not. Yeah, I think in terms of you can't even look to that story for like the description of it because like there's no way they communicated those details to the the cinematic <laughs> team, and that's fine. I'll forgive them for that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they get to Zolan. They're attacked by a bunch of smaller Xersai which they defeat with the power of friendship. And then a massive Xersai pops out of the ground. Um, and, uh, you know, Kaisa dives into a, a hole to kind of pull it away from Talia. Talia drops a fucking mountain on top of it. And uh, now Kaisa's underground again. Yep. Like an angel's kiss. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, I mean... That's, that's just her part of the cinematic. If you haven't seen the call cinematic, it's really it's good. A real cool cinematic. Yeah. You should go watch it. Mm-hmm. But this leads, maybe not directly, but pretty closely into All That Will Ever Be, mm-hmm. which is the Belveth cinematic. I do have notes on this one. Ooh, Ooh. hit it up. This is, I think this is the Belveth te- teaser, technically, yes. Oh, I thought the. Uh, oh, maybe it's not. I thought those like message ones were the teasers. Oh, okay. Like the Malbahar Velkaz ones. This wouldn't be a teaser, I guess. This would be like a release reveal cinematic, not a teaser. Yeah. A reveal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Kai says exploring part of the void underground. It's uh, something we'll eventually come to know as the Lavender Sea. There's a lot of squelching wet tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> Very Vecna down here. <laughs> yes, I, honestly, this and then the story, it's hella strong Stranger Things vibes. It's great. Um, anyway, <clears throat> they eat pretty void butterflies when some of Belveth's fishies burst out and rush over to Belveth. There's not really a fight, exactly. Kaisa suits <laughs> up, and then the wet, slapping hands grab her and pry her helmet open as Belveth turns into big old stingray lady. She's also monologuing <laughs> about consuming the world, etc. Void things. Yeah, she. we do get to see a little bit in it because uh, Kaisa tries to fight, it is very quick. She yeah, like, fires some missiles, and Belveth is so fucking fast. She just smacks her across the room in the, a blink of an eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're 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 starting to see, and we'll get into it more in Pinwheel, but we're starting to see how outclassed <laughs> Kaisa is <laughs> against this creature. This, Belveth is a big bad. You do not fight yeah. Belveth by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> which you can tell from the monologuing. Yeah, that, yeah. that too. Which she will continue heavily. <laughs> She's all about that monologuing. So something I, w- I thought was kind of interesting. Do you think it's intentional? So like she's monologuing, right? And her kind of faux head is talking, but I feel like the lips do not mm. sink nearly at yes. all. You think that's intentional? Right. Yeah. It's just like a... I, I think, think it's... It a, yes. Yeah, I like because there's, they've never done that before. I think the... There were some theories on this too, but like um, since that face is supposed to be kind of like the... Uh, almost like an anglerfish lore in mm-hmm. a way... Um, 
she knows what humans look like and she knows they move their mouth when they talk mm -hmm. she hasn't necessarily learned the movements oh, associated but she knows sense. that they need to <laughs> make so mouth she's just movement noises. moving her mouth <laughs> randomly yeah, yeah. that's kind of what i read from it i thought that was a really that's a really cool detail to try and put in there yeah right that they, they could almost yeah. be mistaken as like oh right just didn't just kind of half-assed it on the, <laughs> the lip sync this time <laughs> But if there's one thing we know about Riot and their cinematics, it's they don't half-ass it on. That's true. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I think that something like that kind of happens in the the short story where she sees, I think she sees Kaisa like looking around and like trying to take it all in. And she starts kind of, Belveth starts mimicking Kaisa, even though obviously she's mm -hmm. not trying to figure out anything. She's just like repeating yeah. back at her. It's funny because we did talk about this when, I don't remember which episode it was that we thought it would be very cool if the Void created people kind of yeah to blend in instead uh yeah i like the reveal of belveth a lot i kind of wish i didn't know she turned into that i think i had seen her champion spotlight before i saw that video i would have liked to have seen the video first because i remember when i first saw her design i was like a little disappointed mm -hmm. i was like this is the void monster she just looks like a lady and then obviously that's just a disguise <laughs> yeah i i think i saw this first and i and it was i thought oh, it was very nice. impactful yeah um, yeah, I think there's there's actually a lot that's really cool here. I like a I like just the image of them like forcibly peeling off the exoskeleton. Yeah, I'm like, I was like, oh, that's mm. a really interesting way to kind of almost attack Kaisa, right? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, it feels uncomfortable, right? And then the way that your people's under there, yeah, right? <laughs> and then the way that like at the same time as that's being peeled off her face, Belveth's like faux face is at this kind of revealing revealing itself almost in like a same like trisected way mm -hmm. and it not being shown directly like it's just reflected in kaisa's eye so like you as the viewer even don't necessarily see what she's seeing just like you have a vague idea of whatever she's seeing and, and that it's fucking creepy um <laughs> and the whole lavender sea imagery is like i love it that sort of weird undersea thing they've got going on I, it looks great in my opinion i love that depiction of the void um and it's great to see it yeah. here in a cinematic you know yeah, yeah. And the, the music too, because this has her kind mm. of like theme music in the background, which like, I, I will say from from just a listening perspective, if I were just like listening to it, not my favorite theme to just listen to, but like in yeah. terms of it fitting the general feeling of like, unease, I guess that you're supposed to feel with Belveth. It was it's very effective mm -hmm. at that. It just it it, it sounds wrong, which I'm sure is intentional because you know, she, she's supposed to feel wrong and off mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah I, I completely agree it's excellently excellently scored i would say yeah mm. all right and this moves directly into literally pinwheel. directly into pinwheel. <laughs> i have a lot of notes for this one. Oh hell yeah, yeah. I, I started reading pinwheel and then i was like i think this is directly after that video let me watch that video again real quick <laughs> so literally right after all that will ever be kaisa is still being held by the wet squelching hands as she watches Belveth grow, she's pretty sure she's fucked. <laughs> and when Belveth speaks again, Kaisa can hear like a multitude of voices and realizes what happened to all the people in the city that just got destroyed. And Kaisa explains how uh, she got there now. She, there was a city called Belveth, which I'm now confused. Was she going to Zoltan? <laughs> what is it called? Zolt? Zolt? Yeah, I wondered what, what the deal was with that too. Because like, they definitely yeah. call it like Zolan or whatever, right? Like I'm not making that up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think um, Zolan was. I, I don't think Zolan is the belt. I think this is kind of separate, like 
you know, after after the events of the call and Zolan okay. and everything, she probably went underground more. Think, and oh, this like, was kind of her next mission almost. Okay. Interesting. Because like, we, we do get to see the story of Zolan before the Void attacks it in one of the other short stories. Mm. And it seemed like nothing more than like... Regular um, Void stuff. Well, the Zolan itself seemed like nothing more than like a, an encampment where people okay. were trying to restore this statue mm. it didn't even seem like an actual like city yeah belveth is like a city right yeah. and it's supposed to be like a metropolis city from the description yeah i guess too. that makes yeah. sense like it's okay. it's so old that it's like literally just down buried un- under like layers and layers of ruins and desert okay that makes sense to me all right all right so yeah there was this big old city belveth that the void destroyed in less than an hour by the time kaisa got there everything was gone and being rebuilt into something more alien usually the void leaves something behind so when they destroyed the oh when they destroyed towns but not this time and that's uh it's because it became belveth that's right belveth (laughs) has changed to become belveth (laughs) (laughs) with an apostrophe So, Belveth, the monster, has all the (laughs) memories and history and knowledge of what the city was. Uh, Kais is realizing Belveth is different than the other Void creatures because she has chosen a name and is very self-aware. The Void is not like this at all. So, Kaisa tries to threaten Belveth and say she's going to kill her, and Belveth explains all who tried became part of the Lavender Sea, where they are now, except for her and her father. (gasps) I know. Kaisa does have a moment of like I can't think about this right now (laughs) I'm in a creepy place and need to focus (laughs) so Belveth turns back into a lady and lets Kaisa follow her around and ask questions for a while so Kaisa asks what she is exactly I thought we established she is the city of Belveth but okay (laughs) Belveth says she is the void which has existed for millennia she says they were perfect singular and silent Uh, not modest though apparently (laughs) And then there was sound, and reality came and consumed the void. She then explains that the Watchers tried to destroy existence so they could become what they were again, but were tempted by the desire to be worshipped instead, and they were betrayed. And then I wrote, LOL, go Lysandra. (laughs) (laughs) So now they're angry in their prison, and they want to destroy everything, which we did know about the Watchers. Unlike Belveth, though, she doesn't want to destroy everything. She wants everyone and everything to become the void. And she shows Kaisa a city building, but it needs the rest of the world to finish it, I guess. That's what Kaisa's seeing. She's <laughs> like, okay, but you need to consume all of Runeterra. It's like building a little upside down there. Kind of. Yeah, mm. That's what it feels like. It feels like she's building the upside down, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Uh, she tells Kaisa the world's going to be destroyed, but she can't let the Watchers get free because they want to eat everything. Um, you know, whereas Belveth wants to take it over. So if Kaisa helps destroy the Watchers, her kind will be spared in the meantime. This all sounds very familiar, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, and Belveth says, like, hey, maybe maybe you'll find a way to destroy man that time. You won't, but maybe you will. <laughs> He's just trying to, like, give her a tempting offer. There's a brief mention of Kaisa's armor here. It's very afraid, like it knows something that she doesn't, and Belveth stabs the armor. So Kaisa unleashes all of her stuff, all her cooldowns, and it has zero effect on Belveth. And if that's not the state of 80 carries <laughs> in League of Legends right now, <laughs> I don't know what is. I felt so bad for her. Uh, Kaisa gets out, though, back to Shirima, back uh, to what was left of Belveth, which is still being rebuilt by the Void into something that will spread throughout the world. So this is really the first start of, like, 
what we're seeing, what, what the void's going to do, because they're teasing event, uh, the void event for so long, and it's we were always under the impression that the void was just going to try to eat everything, but now it seems like Belveth wants everything to be the void, which yeah. that's that's more fun. And again, mm -hmm. this is probably just hopium, but like the <laughs> idea of Belveth building a whole kind of like upside down version of mm. Rune Terra sounds like a real cool place to explore in an MMO. Not, oh, it does. Wrong. Right, you're not <sighs> wrong. It is a man. Do you think they'll kill the Watchers at the end of all this? Like they'll come back? That might be something. I don't know because I, I agree. that'd be great. Sure, at least some of them for sure, right? Yeah, you know, maybe one gets away. Sure, right? They won't. Yeah, you always got to have a Watcher in the back pocket. You know, <laughs> in the back pocket, yeah, just a little Watcher up your your safety sleeve. Watcher, <laughs> <laughs> right? Spot me, right? But um, I mean, it's like you said, Rebecca. I think that Belveth's motivations and stuff it's just a lot more of an interesting thing to deal with as a big evil existential threat than just kind of the broad like oh i just like nothingness that just wants to obliterate all existence like you know it's, yeah it's, there's a consciousness you can interact with you know i thought what i didn't know anything about belveth going into this right and i thought it was so interesting because mm -hmm. it reminded me so much of the the karma a uh, uh cosmic au where she was like this oh. dead civilization and like all the billions of lives in a single like consciousness. I was like, oh, and I remember thinking, oh, that's super cool, awesome. That was a champion, awesome, fucking love it. <laughs> I think that's, that's super cool for Belveth, frankly. Yeah, and you get a real cool look too. Um, they, I have a quote here from when Kaiso was finally realizing like that no matter what she planned on doing to try and fight back against this, there was no way that Belveth like, wouldn't see it coming, basically. Yeah. Uh, like, how fast can one person think? How fast can they react up against all that combined human biology, all that brain power? In the time it takes even a skilled tactician to formulate a plan, hundreds of millions of possibilities run through Belveth's mind in the span of a single second as she draws from the stolen memories of everything and everyone that has ever passed through the old city, all incalculable number of lives, every captive opponent faced with an overwhelming enemy since the formation of Runeterra could be snapping in and out of this thing's synaptic awareness, their emotions cataloged, dissected, endlessly uh, fascinated over before Kaisa can even blink. Damn. It's like Kha'Zix times a billion. Right? <laughs> but yeah. Very cool. I think all the descriptions of the the setting are, or in the whole scene are super cool, right? I mean, this is definitely one of those moments where the void is shining in its description. There's like at one point it talks mm -hmm. about, it's like a teddy bear that's been kind of weirdly biologically mixed with like the wings of gulls and Kaisa sees it yeah. and like almost vomits, just like, just like gags at the side of it, um, which is super cool. I like, I like that. I think for <laughs> Kaisa's part, I mean, for the most part, she's just kind of there to be exposited to right so we can get like hey here's the setup for the void event yeah there's a, f a few moments where i wish her internal monologue was a little less like cocksure and a little like there's like a moment where she's like what is this like even for the void this is weird or like oh big <laughs> and fast great and it's like i think you'd be a, mo a little more like oh fuck you know on the, on the inside but that's a mm -hmm. very minor thing yeah and it's worth mentioning because I don't think we, I don't think we mentioned the writer on this one. Oh, I forgot. It's um, another Rosen piece, folks. Yeah, I did write it down. Yeah. I'm sorry, that was my bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, this is the Jared Rosen showcase today. What can I? What can I say? <laughs> but it's it's really good. I think the detail of, like you said, the her carapace 
having like f- feelings of like fear and her kind of like tapping into it like that's awesome a great way of using yeah. that thing about her character and what she does right you know yeah i'm curious what else she'll learn from it i know there was a moment early on too where she literally couldn't move not because she was afraid but because her suit was too afraid yeah and she was just kind of stuck it was like in awe of what it was like yeah i was like oh Mm -hmm. that's cool that's a really cool idea you know Mm Hmm. yeah so i'm curious what will become of that and what her suit might know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that she doesn't about belveth because she I, i i love this idea that belveth is giving her the same uh, ultimatum that Lysandra got before Lysandra was betrayed. And you have to assume that Belveth knows that's what the Watchers did. They, she knows that's what the Watchers offered Lysandra. So I'm really curious what her game here is. Mm-hmm. And that it, I mean, she also knows it worked. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for the most, up until the the end, I suppose. Betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Lysandra, I think, had a little bit more power in her corner than Kaisa does at the moment. The moment yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm curious if if Belveth can like gets has has power to I guess uh shock and awe the uh the the voidling carapace. Like will there ever I mean she controls a lot of void too. Like I'm curious if she'll ever get to the point where she can control Kaisa's carapace. <laughs> and you have kind yeah, of probably like a, very magneto with I was gonna yeah. say the Magneto Wolverine yeah. face up, so <laughs> uh-huh. now now she has to find more help to help her fight the void because the big enemy she's fighting is specifically suited to <laughs> go against her. I like yeah. it. I like it a lot. Not that it ever stopped Wolverine from trying. <laughs> <laughs> this reminded me of the um those Peter the Pete Holmes oh, uh, yeah. X Fed when he fires the X Fed. <laughs> he fires Wolverine. It's very uh, good. Uh, I'm not familiar with it. It's a good series of uh, oh, it's digital so shorts. It's Pete Holmes comedy uh, thing. He just like meets up one by one with like different X Men and Talks about how goes off on how useless they are. <laughs> I recommend. Yeah, just look up like Wolverine gets fired, Wolverine, okay. something like that. It's so fucking funny, yeah. dude. I'll check it out. <laughs> ask you like, what are you gonna do if you see Magneto? I run at him. You run at him. You run at the man who controls metal. <laughs> That's what he does. <sighs> so uh last thing i have for well i don't know if you had any more pinwheel no, thoughts no i'm good no i'm good um i guess the the title is supposed to be in reference to like how kais like doesn't Kai, what like i thought the title stuck out a little weird but i guess there's kind of an inline where she goes up and it kind of when she's looking at it it kind of looks like the whole world is almost like spinning in the wind is that what like i don't know it's just kind of a weird title to oh, me, maybe yeah i don't know Whatever, it don't matter. It's just <laughs> it like the last little thing I had noticed. Like, oh, the titles struck me. But. Uh, so last thing I wanted to talk about, um, Kaisa also got a new skin recently, and it's Star Guardian. Mm. Uh, now I think we've talked about, it, and I think we're we're probably gonna do a full Star Guardian episode at some point because at this point there is now a lot of Star Guardian <laughs> lore. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of go. It might over be the, a Patreon episode though yeah we'll see maybe not um but yeah that i i I went over the kaisa stuff i i read the story i read the comics i watched the cinematic and then i went through as much of the visual novel as is um viewable right now they're releasing in they're releasing a new chapter every week so obviously we're we're recording this on the 16th so they've only released one chapter so um we're not going to get into the later chapter <laughs> stuff right now but 
We'll go over what we do have. So, Star Guardian. In a vast and dark universe, young warriors are chosen by fate to protect the light of the stars. They are destined to burn bright, but collapse as furiously as they shine. This one is Star Guardian Kaisa. A natural-born leader and defender of the weak, Kaisa idolizes the Star Guardians as well as all they stand for. Though she might be trying a bit too hard, perhaps to the point of ignoring some of her friendships, her heart burns with the desire to help others, and she'd do anything to protect the world from darkness. In case you're wondering about her favorite food, it's peach boba. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and proficiencies are sharpshooting and leadership, except when I play her. Uh, her magical medium is Ina. A born leader, Ina is always ready to heed the call. With a hop and a bounce, it'll leap into position, accompanying Kaisa even into the most dangerous of battles. If Ina finds time in its busy schedule to relax, it loves to sip on boba. But then it's right back to training and helping Kaisa with schoolwork. Ina's one busy bunny. <laughs> uh, and there's a cinematic to go along with this called Everything Goes On, which is the new Star Guardian cinematic where we follow Zaya and Kaisa as the respective leaders of their Star Guardian groups, both dealing with the loss of loved ones as Rakan has recently sacrificed himself to um, end Zoe's dark influence on Zaya and save her, and Kaisa lost Akali, who she seemed pretty romantic with in the cinematic, um, likely to corruption, as she and Rakan are both together at the end, and we know that Rakan was taken over by corruption, so it stands to reason that the same thing happened to Akali. Gotcha. Uh, but we haven't gotten to that point in what I assume is going to be covered in the visual novel. Okay. Um... And then in the short story, because for the record, Kaisa, I did not know this when reading, Kaisa does not show up in the comics. It is mostly Zaya stuff. Oh, so okay. mm -hmm. uh, we'll go straight to the short story. I, it, it is a, I cannot call this a short story. This is a <laughs> 10 chapter story, um, but it is twin stars. Uh, so Kaisa meets Akali as a child and saves her from a bunch of bullies. Um, Akali tried to like stop the bullies from hurting a dog then so the bullies turned on her instead and kaisa intervened um, so they know each other from school kaisa's kind of the perfect student volunteers does a bunch of extracurriculars all that good stuff and they become best friends uh, but one day they get into a fight when um, akali wants to go to the mall but kaisa can't go because she's trying to get signatures on a petition um, Akali's worried that she's burning herself out with all the extra stuff she does so they argue and akali storms off to the mall um, at the mall, she decides to buy flowers as an apology, but then corrupted Zaya and Rakan. This is before uh, Zaya's been rescued. This mm. is after the, the Zoe corruption. They attack the town. Um, so Akali's rescued by misfortune and runs out to find Kaisa because she notices that the town is basically... The whole town is just being fucking destroyed by Zoe at this point. So okay. um, she runs out to try and find Kaisa. Uh, misfortune finds her first in um kind of a a park where they're all battling zoe um and uh zaya and Rakaner are there too they're all fighting in the middle of a city and mf gets hit by a zoe paddle star and kind of in this universe since zoe's super corrupted um her paddle stars kind of cause corruption too and they cause you to kind of see the negative of things around you and make you more susceptible to negative thoughts and things like that so after she gets hit uh zaya kind of stands over her and demands to know like 
why did you leave me to die? Because we, we also find a little more context about what happened with that original group where like Rakan had died against Zoe, Zaya was almost dead, and Nico was almost dead. So Ari, in an effort to not lose Misfortune 2, dragged Misfortune away from the fight and was like, no, we've got to leave him. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. Zaya was like, MF, what the fuck? Why did you leave me? And MF obviously has all this guilt um, because she had assumed that they were already dead. She didn't know that they were actually still alive when they were dragged away. Um, so she is, uh, her guilt is threatening to overtake her. And then she hears Kaisa's voice telling her not to give up and that her friends are here. Um, and suddenly Ari and Nico drop from the sky. And this is immediately following, I think, or closely following the cinematic where Ari rescues Nico from Zyra Khan and Zoe. Um, so eventually, uh, oh, and then right then Akali runs to the playground too, and Akali and Kaisa have a big embrace, and then they kind of hide under a jungle gym while this big Star Guardian fight keeps happening. Um, uh, throughout the whole fight, Kaisa is basically marveling at how Oh, it's, so, it's so amazing that there are these good people here fighting to protect us um, for like, they don't gain anything from it. They're just doing the right thing. Whereas Akali's watching the whole thing and she's like, wow, I can't believe these people were best friends at some point. I can't believe that corruption could drive people so far. And she's kind of seeing like these friendships will never be the same. Like she's seeing kind of the, the whole negative of the situation. Uh, meanwhile, it seems like Rakan has kind of maybe fought off the corruption a bit and has decided like, hey, this is a great op. We've got a bunch of Star Guardians here. This is as good an opportunity as any to team up and fight against Zoe. So she convinces, he convinces Zaya to help him. Um, And now it's all the Star Guardians against Zoe. Um, But Zaya gets hit by some Zoe corruption and it looks like she's going to be completely taken over. And Rakan shields her, takes the corruption onto himself. And while he still has that small momentary burst of corrupted power leads the charge and defeats zoe basically okay um but disappears afterwards uh in the aftermath again kaisa is struck by man good won the day we defeated evil we did it guys zoe's gone all's well as it ends well um and akali is horrified at how much everyone has lost here. She sees that, like, Zaya had to watch Rakan die twice now. Um, there are all these friendships that were so close that she knows will never be the same again. And she's just kind of, like, blown, blown away by <laughs> um, by all of this. And then it says a, a tendril of darkness takes root in her heart at that moment. Um and then all the Guardians agree to help Zaya find Rakan because she knows he's alive out there somewhere. Um, it's also mentioned kind of at the end here, too, that like the, the initial fight that Kaisa and Akali had had about the petition that Kaisa was trying to get signed. Um, the petition was to start an after-school program because Akali kind of has a really bad home life. Like Her parents kind of hate her a bit. Um, she gets into fights a lot. She doesn't do well at school. Um, so Kaisa was trying to start an after-school program so the people who didn't have a great home to go home to could instead hang out with people at like arcades and other things. But she didn't want to tell Akali that. Um, she didn't want her to like, feel bad or anything. And But we find a little bit more about that, what that was. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's that. Um, the visual novel picks up, I think, a, f- 
actually it so the the impression I got from ages from the short story was that they were pretty young. Um, the visual novel, I think, has them as second years in in high school, and it's also supposed to take place one year after that attack. Um, so I, I feel like my my head canon of how old they were in that story was a bit skewed. But <laughs> okay. um, in the visual novel, another sky, Kaisa and Akali seem to be growing apart um, because Kaisa Kaisa is now a star guardian. We don't really know how that happened yet. Maybe they'll get into it a little bit. Um, Akali is too. They're both kind of co-leaders of a new Star Guardian team. Um, but it seems like being a Star Guardian is all that Kaisa thinks about now. So she doesn't really hang out with Akali anymore outside of training. Um, she's just all about being a Star Guardian. Um, which Akali, as we saw from <laughs> the other story, already had that like tendril of like, I, yeah, Star Guardians are good, but, like, their whole purpose is to die. Like, like they will all, like, they'll protect people, but in the end, they all die. <laughs> um, so she's kind of disenchanted a bit. Um, uh, throughout the story, uh, Morgana and Fiddlesticks pop up, and they seem to want to attack Valorant City. Uh, Morgana's um, going to embed herself in their school to screw with the Star Guardians, Fiddlestick seems like an agent of chaos, basically just sent to torment star guardians who he senses, uh, you know, snippets of darkness in. So he's there for a collie. Um, and they, uh, they, there's one kind of small attack on the city at this point, And um, their team of star guardians, Echo, Sona, Talia, Akali, and Kaisa beat their first group of monsters. And that's all that's been released so far. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, I was curious. I forgot about Morgana Phil Six, frankly. So I was like, oh, who's the, who's the villain going to be in the new season? Yeah. Uh, now that Zoe's <laughs> gone. But okay. Interesting. I'll be really interested to get into like really deep into that stuff in an episode. I think that'd be a lot of fun. It's pretty neat. It looks uh, looks pretty good so far. We don't know a lot about a lot of the champion. All, all we know about Fiddlesticks is that he was likely an ex Star Guardian because he also has like you know how all the Star Guardians have those little like familiars kind of. He has one of those too, but it's locked in a jar in his chest. Oh. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. So that right. is Kaisa. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh... I think we hit it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Nice work. <laughs> <laughs> High fives, everyone. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening to this little, little revisit. Uh, we have a Twitter. It's at Loreheads. And we also stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Loreheads. By the time this is posted, we'll probably have been on break for a little bit. Who knows? Maybe John will be back to TFTing. No idea. <laughs> with a baby in his arms. <laughs> I think you could TFT with a baby. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> You only need one arm for each. This is yeah. Hyper baby. Hyper roll baby. We have a YouTube as well. Uh, John posts some fun parody songs there. By this time, there will be a new one up, I think. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a little little glimpse, little sample mm-hmm. of that one recently. <laughs> uh, we have a Discord as well. It's linked in the description of this episode and pinned on our Twitter if you want to join us for some discussions and whatnot. And we have a Patreon. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. But a very special thank you to our Madarda and All Chat tier patrons. Chloe Things, Crow, King of Hearts, Mylect, Rel, and Chupamoo Stash. If 
you were being attacked by the dark star, Zoe, <laughs> I would I would also uh, corrupt myself oh. to mm. save your lives. Wow. Yeah, but right? would you turn Rebecca into like a permanent pessimist then? Right? Would you make her question the validity of like friendships? Mm-hmm. Leave our daughter fatherless. What? Not fatherless, just corrupted. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You'd have to save me then. <laughs> just keep her in a jar in your in your trunk or whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway. <laughs> and be sure to join us next week. It'll probably be our last episode for a little while as we talk about the eternal nightmare nocturne. That should be a quick one. Yeah. <laughs> But he's got that story with Lux. That we've talked about like five times. 